to Genesis chapter 32 this morning. If you're there, say amen. All right. That's about half of us. And I gave you the whole song to get there. I mean, come on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But uh, Genesis 32 is where we'll be at in the Scripture together this morning. And continuing on in our series in the book of Genesis. And uh, we'll get uh, there in just a moment. Let's start with reading the Scripture. Um, This is a passage of Scripture I think will be familiar to many of us here. But perhaps... Um, perhaps you have not heard it before. Let's start in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 1. The Bible says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. They called the name of that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants, and I sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to Esau, thy brother, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. Verse 9, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidest unto me, Return into thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all my mercies and of all thy truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I have passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he'll come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude." And he lodged there that same night and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau, his brother. The next several verses tell us about how he put that present together to try to pacify his brother's vengeance, the vengeance that he believed Esau had kept against him. The Bible goes on to say in verse number 21 of this passage, So went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And read the next phrase out loud together in verse 24. Ready, begin. And Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. In this passage of Scripture... We find another climactic point in Jacob's life. In this passage of Scripture, we find a man who didn't understand it at the time, but we find a man who was wrestling with God. I told Emily yesterday, we, we were out in Junction, and you know, it's Halloween time. I don't celebrate Halloween, but I really wanted to walk in after the special today with a luchador mask on, okay? You say, what's that? How many of you know what I'm talking about? All right. 
Thank you. There's one of you. I appreciate that. Okay, it's the stuff that people wear when they when they wrestle against each other, <laughs> uh, kind of down in down in Mexican countries, I suppose. Okay, I really wanted to wear one of these masks. You inspired me by putting that Facebook post out there about when wearing that dumb little little hat thing not too long ago, and I wanted to walk out there with this thing on and say we're going to talk about wrestling with God today. <laughs> But that's what, that's what we're talking about. And that's what we learn from this passage of Scripture. We see Jacob, a man who had long resisted God's work in his life, long had he wrestled with other men. And we find Jacob realizing here on this point in his life that he was wrestling with God. Now someone once said this. They said, a crisis doesn't make a person. It shows what a person is made of. That's what crisis, crisis do in our lives. And I say to you that it is often through the difficult seasons of life that God reveals the deepest issues in our hearts that needs to be transformed by his grace. That's what he desires to do through the difficult seasons of life. And this was certainly the case with what was happening here in Genesis chapter 32. You see, through God's divine intervention, Jacob had just been set free from his long-standing conflict with his father-in-law Laban. And even as Laban's caravan was being driven off, even as the dust from Laban's caravan was still on the horizon in the distance, Jacob picks up his camp and begins to go his own way. And as he begins to pick up, he knows what is looming ahead of him. Another confrontation, another encounter with what was in his mind an even more ominous enemy, Esau, the the brother that he had conned out of his birthright, the brother that he had cheated out of his blessing, the brother that when he had left his homeland 20 years before said, I'm going to kill you, Jacob. That's the brother he was getting ready to go face. And it was a very daunting thing in his mind to have to go face this brother and following what God was leading him to do and going back to Canaan, going back to home. What we find Jacob doing here in the pages of Scripture is he tries to handle this hard circumstance by himself. As was his common practice. Instead of turning to the Lord, he turned to his schemes He turned to his own devisings, and we see it happen multiple times here in the passage of Scripture we just read. And through all of this, we could could put it all simply by saying Jacob was wrestling with God. Jacob was, instead of trying to do God's will God's way, he was trying to do what what he thought God wanted him to do his own way. And he's resisting what God was trying to lead him to do. And in that sense, we could say Jacob was wrestling with God, and God had a lot he wanted to teach Jacob through this wrestling match. Okay, Now, I'm not a guy who likes to watch wrestling. I'm not a guy who even really likes to watch boxing. I'm just not really into that stuff. But this is a wrestling match we all want to tune in for right here, okay? Let Let me start by asking you this question. Have you ever wrestled with God over something before? Are you wrestling with God over something right now? You see, I think all of us, if we be honest, we understand what I'm, if you understand what I'm talking about, all of us go through times of life where we do, like Jacob, wrestle with God over things. We, we, we kind of resist him a little bit about something we know he's working in our hearts about. We, we want to do it our way. Like God, God, that doesn't make sense to me. and It makes a lot more sense to go do it this way. They handle the, handle the issue this way. 
We have this desire in our heart to want to try to resist, want to try to wrestle with the working of God in our hearts. And I'll say this to you this morning. God will allow you to expend yourself in wrestling with him until you come to the end of yourself and learn to depend on him alone. You want to resist him? You want to try to wrestle with God? You go ahead. You're going to wear yourself out. That's exactly what God wants you to do, by the way. It's not until you come to the end of yourself that he can do anything with you or do anything for you. And that's something Jacob had to learn here. And would to God we would learn these same life-altering lessons about things that happen when we uh, wrestle with God. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Let's pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. And if in your heart now, as, even as we pray, you know you're wrestling with God over something. Would you open your heart? Would you ask God to speak to you? Would you tell him, God, I'm willing to listen to what you want to tell me through the message of your word today? Let's pray together and invite God's presence, invite his spirit to speak to our hearts in a very real way right now. Father, we come before you together as, as the body uh, gathered corporately on Sunday, even as you've told us to, and we're here in obedience to you. And Lord, we're not here just for fellowship. We're not here just to sing songs. Lord, we're not here just to hear preaching from your word. Uh, Lord, we're here to worship you. We're here to glorify your name. We're here in obedience to your command. All of those things are things we've done. But Lord, the most important thing that I believe will happen for any of us today is allowing you to speak to our hearts. And uh, Lord, that's what true worship leads to. We worship you in spirit and in truth. And as your truth is communicated today, I pray it would minister to the needs of our heart. Lord, if we're wrestling with you over something, whether we realize it or not, I pray you'd make it clear today. And I pray, Lord, you also make it clear on how our lives need to be led forward from this point. And Lord, victory is found through surrender not through self-reliance. And I pray that we'll come to understand that today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to give you this morning three life-altering lessons that you will learn when you wrestle with God. Three life-altering lessons you'll learn when you wrestle with God. Now, I didn't give you an outline today. You're going to have to take notes the old-fashioned way, okay? Um, and so, number one, write this down if you're taking notes. This is the first lesson, and that is simply this. God's support is greater than your schemes. You could just use a greater than sign for this, okay? God's support is greater than your schemes, than your devisings than your ideas. And we'll clarify and expound on that here. Notice how our text begins in verse number one. If you're with me, say amen. The Bible says in verse one, and Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host, and he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Now, I don't know how many times I've read this passage of Scripture. Um, I've read through the Bible so many times, and through the book of Genesis, even more times as I've been going through this study. But yet, as many times as I've read through this passage, this particular, these two verses right here have never struck me. I've never understood the significance of it. It never even really registered in my mind. Wow, Jacob just met an angel army. I mean, that's pretty significant right there. There's not a lot of people in the scripture that got to see something like that. 
And as Jacob leaves Laban, the Bible says he, he encounters this angel host encountered him. They crossed paths with him. And he, he, he was met with this angel band. And you know, this is significant because last time we were in the study of Genesis, remember Laban? God, said, God told Laban, don't lay a finger on Jacob. All right? It's a good thing Laban didn't because there was an unseen angel army right beside him. And, uh, 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 but, but now as Jacob goes on and leaves Laban, he becomes aware, I believe, of this angelic host that had been with him all along the way. You see, the whole time Jacob was following what God was leading him to do, Jacob had not realized that there was an unseen angelic army marching alongside him, aiding and protecting him as he followed God's will for his life. And so Jacob called the name of that place where he encountered this angelic army. When we begin to see this angelic army, he called it Mahanaim. A name that means two encampments, two camps. And on that day, God made very clear that Jacob was not alone. As Jacob marched pursuing God's will for his life, God's army, the very host of heaven, marched alongside him to aid him and to support him in doing what God had led him to do. And I don't want to park here long, but dear Christian, let me tell you something here today. You would do well to remember that as you pursue God's purpose for your life, that God stands ready to move all the host of heaven, if necessary, to aid you in doing what he's called you to do. That is an awesome truth. See, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14, we studied this last year. Hebrews 1 and verse 14 tells us that of the angels, that they are all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation. The angels work for God, but God makes them work for us to aid us, to help us, to support us in bringing about the glory of God in this earth. And that is, a, that is an astounding truth. That is a wonderful truth. And, and, and who knows, who really knows how often God has employed his angels in protecting and securing his purposes for your life. I heard the story of John Wesley. John Wesley was a, a great preacher of yesteryear. He was a circuit riding preacher. He would often ride on horses and go from town to town to preach. And uh, John Wesley um, uh, told, told this story of his life. Oftentimes on those old circuit trails, on those old roads between those, those, those cities in England and America, uh, Wesley uh, encountered... Um, Burglars. He encountered uh, there were people who are along those roads who would hide to, to simply uh, raid unsuspecting people who would be coming by. And one day, Wesley told the story that as he was riding down a road, uh, the sun was beginning to go down. He began to see shadows ahead in the dense distance, and he knew there was nothing that could be done. I mean, he couldn't go back where he came from. They'd probably sneak up from behind him. His best option was just to try to keep on going through, but he knew these men were up there hiding in, in, in the distance. And so he prayed and said, Lord, there's nothing I can do. I, I need your protection. When you know, just as soon as he got done offering that prayer, another rider came up alongside him. And they said nothing to each other. The rider just rode up alongside him. And Wesley, concerned about what the robbers were going to do, they rode past the area where they were. And when they were done, he turned to talk to his companion and wouldn't you know he wasn't there anymore? And Wesley would, would relate that, relay that story, and he would say, I believe that that was a time when God showed me his protection on my life by an angel. 
There's a moment in, our, in my life when uh, I remember when we were young, we were driving down the road and we got broke down in the middle of nowhere. It was my, my dad, my family. We had no tire to be able to replace the, the, the tire that had become flat on our car. And we were in the middle of nowhere. And out of nowhere, these two men came and came up, came up behind us. They got us a tire. They got us everything we needed. And when we got everything back together, I don't remember seeing when they left. I don't remember seeing where they went. But all that, and, and, and still to this day, I look back on that time, and I remember talking to my dad about it. I, re, I look back on that time and think, I think that was, that was God's aid protecting us in that moment of our life. Now, I know that ultimately I don't want to put too much faith in, in angels. Hey, uh, believe in angels, but trust in Jesus, okay? Because he's the one that's in charge of them. But God often employs uh, uh, his, the forces of heaven to be able to protect and aid us in accomplishing his purposes for our life. And it's a good reminder for us, friend, because if God be for us, who can be against us? I like what Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 17 says. It says, no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. <laughs> no weapon formed against thee shall prosper. What a wonderful truth that is right there. And so Jacob encounters this angel band. And you know, you would think that after an encounter like this, that Jacob wouldn't be scared of anything. He's just seen God's army. He's just seen an angelic host who is marching alongside him and, and, and God's support that was there to back him. And you'd think that he wouldn't have any more struggles after that. But he did. And we see that he did in the next action that he took. It's almost as if he didn't even acknowledge God's support at all. And look at what verse number 3 says. Verse 3 says, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, into the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau, thy servant Jacob, saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now, and I have oxen and asses, flocks and men's servants and women's servants, and I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. Hey, even after being just assured by the presence of a heavenly host, Jacob went right back to his scheming. Jacob started groveling. Sent to his Esau and said, My Lord Esau, I'm your servant. And I'm just begging you, please let me come home. Uh, you can almost hear the tone of his voice uh, that he's speaking with when he sends out to Esau here. And uh, uh, he, he goes through all of this labor to send these messengers to try to pacify his, his brother who he thinks is mad at him. But in spite of his best efforts... In spite of his most cunning, deceptive terminology, he found it wasn't enough. Because the Bible goes on to say in verse number 6, if you're still with me, say amen. Verse 6, the Bible says, And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee, and four hundred men with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands. Now here's, here's an interesting tidbit here, okay? Earlier in verse 2, he named the place where he met the other camp of the angels, Mahanaim. That's the same Hebrew word that's used here for two bands, Mahanaim. There were two camps. You know, Jacob would have been a whole lot better off trusting himself with the two camps that the Lord had showed to him. Instead of devising his own scheme to divide up his, his camp into two camps. You, know, you, see, you see the distinction there. God said, hey, Here's your camp, here's my camp, I'm here with you to support you. 
Jacob doesn't even acknowledge that. And when, when trouble comes, when issues comes, he resists God's help. He resists God's support. He says, no, I got this, God. I got myself in this mess. I'll get myself out of this mess. He divides his own band into two camps. He says if, if one of them get attacked, then the other one can, can escape and survive. And, and he makes this brilliant plan in his mind uh, of how he's going to, to handle this circumstance. We could put it this way. Jacob did what he could do. Instead of relying on God's support, he turned to his own scheme. He turned to his own device to deliver him from the circumstance that he found himself in. And the Bible says that when that took place, if you look back down at the scriptures here, in, uh, uh, in, in verse number, verse number uh, where were we at? Verse number seven, verse number seven, the Bible says, then Jacob, when he heard about this big host coming from his brother Esau, 400 men with Esau, an army of men, then Jacob, in verse seven, was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into these two bands. And so Jacob, he was distressed, he was stressed out, and he was, he was greatly afraid, the Bible says, he was scared, he was stressed out, and he was scared, he was at his wit's end, and he didn't know what to do, and yet he still turned to his own devisings again. He had tried to send an, em, an emissary to, 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 to pacify his brother and, 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 to, and, and to make him uh, uh, forgive him, and then when that didn't work, now Esau's coming, and Jacob says, okay, well, that plan didn't work, and uh, so let's divide this up into two camps, and, and at least one, one of the groups will be able to survive, and he just continues to scheme. He just continues to try to come up with his own solution here, and it's very sad what we see happening here, but before we condemn Jacob too much, hey, how prone are you and I to do the same thing? When it comes to the issues that, that we face, we, we too are just as guilty at wrestling with God when it comes to the things that are going on in our lives. And instead of turning to God in our time of need, how often do we just try to handle it ourselves? God, this isn't big enough for me to need your help. Well, I know God will help me. He's going to help me do what I'm doing. He's going to help me do things my way. No, he'll, he'll help you do things his way. He might leave you to your own devisings to bring you to the end of yourself so that you will come to depend on him and turn to his way. And that's certainly what he was doing with Jacob here. Can I tell you something? And you get this, this lesson down well in your head. God's support is so much greater than your schemes. What you need in the time of turmoil and the time of struggle is not to resist God's help, but to plead for God's help. To receive it willingly and gladly. Hey, it's better to trust in the Lord to put your confidence in man, the Bible says. Psalm 18.1. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. How much better it is to just trust the Lord. And so we see the first lesson we learn is that God's support is greater than, than, than your schemes. And how important it is for us to learn that. But here's the second lesson we need to learn. And that is this, God's assurances are greater than your abilities. God's assurances are greater than your abilities. Now as we go on in the scripture, we notice in verse number 9 that in this moment of desperation, Jacob is scared he is stressed out. He has no idea what to do. He's trying to figure everything out himself. He was moved to do something, get this, he had never really done before. 
Jacob prayed. <laughs> what a novel idea. You say, well, surely Jacob's prayed before. Here, here, if you go back and look in the book of Genesis, we don't have time to do it right now, but every other time Jacob talked to God from before this point, it was always God who had initiated the conversation first. In other words, Jacob never just went to go talk to God. God would appear to him, God would talk to him, and sometimes Jacob would respond. But Jacob had never been brought to the place where God wasn't talking, but I need to talk to him. And that's what happened at this juncture in Jacob's life. And Jacob wasn't hearing anything from God, and he needed an answer, and he really didn't know what to do. And so we see on the pages of Scripture one of the most beautiful, heartfelt prayers from, from, from a man who is young in his faith in all of Scripture. Look at verse 9 here. We'll read it again. The Bible says, why don't we read this whole prayer out loud together, verses 9 through 12. Let's read it together. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. This was the prayer of a desperate man, a man who in his heart knew, though he wanted to try to act like it all depended on him, he knew. There was nothing more he could do. He knew it all depended on God. A man who was brought to his knees, who had never been brought there before. It amazes me how many of us have never truly prayed to God. Will you believe in God? You, you come to church every Sunday, but you have never been driven to a point when you need God, you think. You don't pray. God... Jacob had been wrestling with God. God was able to bring him to the end of his prayerless stint. And Jacob began to realize how much he really did need God. This was the prayer of a desperate man. And I love how Jacob implored for God's aid here. There are really four, four uh, uh, arguments, we could say, that Jacob brought up in his prayer. For reasons that Jacob gave to God for why God should help him, why God should answer him. And these are all true for us. You can write these down if you like. The first, the first uh, plea that Jacob came to God with is he pleaded with God on the basis of his covenant. Uh, the first part of verse 9, Jacob started and he said, Hey, uh, 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 O God of my father Abraham and of my father Isaac. Well, God had made a, a covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and now with Jacob that he was going to make of them a great nation, that he was going to bless them. And the first thing Jacob came to God pleading with him about was on the basis of his covenant. Hey, don't miss this, because in the New Testament application, we too have the privilege of being able to come to God and plead with him on the basis of his new covenant with us. That covenant that he has established through his blood. The Bible says we have been given access to God by a new and living way. Hebrews 10, 19 told us, through the blood of Jesus. And we get to come pleading to God on the basis of his covenant as well. We don't come from our own merit. We come to him on the basis of his covenant to us. And so Jacob pleaded with God on the basis of his covenant. But we also see that Jacob pleaded with God on the basis of God's command to him. 
And he goes on in verse 9, and he says here, um, uh, uh, The Lord which saidest unto me, return to thy country and to thy kindred, and I'll deal well with me. In other words, Jacob said, God, you told me to do this. I was sitting fine in Haran, and you came, and you prompted me, and you told me to go back home, and now I'm going home, and I'm facing this circumstance. And so, hey, God, I'm only here because you told me to be here, so you better take care of me. You know, you have some authority to plead with God with all of assurance when you know you're doing what he wants you to do. God, I took this job because you told me to. And now all these troubles come. I need you to deliver me. He had some authority. When, he, when, you, when you know you are walking in the way that God wants you to walk in, you can be sure that the Lord will direct your steps. Where God guides, he provides. And Jacob began to see this demonstrated here in his own life. And so Jacob pleaded with God on the basis of his covenant. He pleaded with God on the basis of his command. But the third thing I see is that Jacob pleaded with God on the basis of his care. See, the next thing that Jacob says here is to go to verse number 10. He said, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. And so deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he'll come and smite me. And the mother with the children. Jacob pleaded with God on the basis of his promised care for his life. Jacob said, God, you've been with me from the moment I left home. In these past 20 years, I've lived in an unfavorable circumstance with an unfair boss and all these things have happened to me, but you've been there and you've always protected me and you've never let anyone lay a finger on me. If you'd taken care of me for 20 years, why would you stop now? God, I'm trusting you to protect me. He prayed to God on the basis of his care for him. Friend, I've been uh, uh, young and now I'm old and yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread, the psalmist said. You be not afraid, whate'er be tied. God will take care of you. You can plead with God on the basis of the fact that you know he's a God who cares for you and will take care of you. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. So Jacob pleaded with God on the basis of his care for him. And then a final thing he pleaded for, pled for in this prayer, he pled with God on the basis of his commitment to him. In verse 12, Jacob said, And thou saidest, I'll surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Hey, Jacob pleaded with God on the basis of his promises. Jacob said, God, you told me you were going to take care of me. You told me you were going to see me get home. You told me that you were going to be with, there, be with me every step of the way. And friend, you can plead with God on the basis of his promises for you. When God says he'll provide for you, when God says you seek him first in his righteousness, that all these things that you need will be added to you, you can take that to the bank. God's good for his word. So Jacob pled with God. And you'd think after he prayed such a heartfelt prayer that when he got up off his knees, everything would be honky-dory. But Jacob struggled like you and I do. It's easy to pray. It's hard to live out what you pray sometimes. It's like the man that Jesus healed in the New Testament. 
He said, if you can believe, I can heal you. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Uh, uh, I, struggle, I struggle with that sometimes. That's where Jacob was at here. And once again, he goes right back to his own schemes. The Bible tells us in the next part of the, uh, the verse, in verse 13, the Bible says, and he lodged there that same night and, and took of that which came to his hand, a present for Esau's brother. And he goes down and he lists all these things. Now, I'm not going to list all of them because it's 580 animals, okay? And uh, just, let's just go ahead and say it's a lot of animals, okay? And he took all these animals that he assembled, that's a, lot of, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of animals there. And he, and he separated them into nine different droves, nine different herds, if you would. And then he sent them one by one. And every one of them he sent, and he said, I, when, you, when you get to Esau, I want you to tell him this is a present from Jacob. Yeah, and, and I hope that you'll forgive me. I hope that you'll receive me when you meet me. And, and these, men were, these, droves were, these men were supposed to lead these droves and meet Esau along the way. And one after another to try to pacify, to try to reconcile Jacob's relationship with his brother. Now, this is just a tidbit. I don't have long to park here. Nine is the number of reconciliation. Nine is the number of atonement. Um, the day of atonement was on the ninth day of the month. Uh, Jesus was crucified at the ninth hour of the day. And there's a lot of things we could say about that, but there's a significance to the number nine and reconciliation. And Jacob was seeking reconciliation in the right manner. Um, uh, in one sense, but the fact is, though, there were, though, though his uh, uh, present was symbolic, it was not sanctioned by God. God didn't tell him to do that. God told him to trust him. And so Jacob once again took this whole matter of trying to deal with his brother Esau into his own hands, and we see another scheme rooting its head here, but again, um, we'll find uh, it didn't work the way Jacob thought it was going to work. So after all this was done, Jacob had done everything he knew to do. So he got his family, and he braced himself for whatever was going to happen. The Bible says in verse 21, So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the Ford Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left where? Alone. Jacob was left alone. Here's what happens. Jacob, he takes his family. They're on the south side of this brook that leads over to the Jordan River, the Ford Jabbok, the spring, this brook. He puts his family on the north side of the brook. The land of Seir, the land of Edom is, Edom is to the south of Israel. And so here he is. He's sitting on the south side of this brook. He's all alone. His family, all of his possessions are on the other side. And he sent them all over. And he's sitting there alone. Because if Esau comes, he hopes Esau will just kill him and leave his family alone. Leave everything else alone. And he's sitting there. The name Jabbok, this ford, where he sent everything else away. You know what the name Jabbok means? It means emptying. And it's very symbolic of what God was doing in Jacob's life. God was emptying Jacob. Jacob, you've allowed all this stuff to distract you. You've allowed all this stuff to cause you. You depended so much on your stuff, so much on your cunning. I'm going to separate you from all of it. There's an emptying that happened in Jacob's life here so that God could get his attention. And one of the things we find that God was trying to teach Jacob through all of this is to trust in his promises instead of his own performance. In other words, like we said before, a lesson that we desperately need to learn, hey, God's assurances are greater than your abilities. 
Jacob had done all this stuff to try to solve his own problem. He put all of his power into these droves, into these ideas. But in the end, God just wanted him to trust him. If Jacob had just prayed the prayer and trusted God, he would have learned the lesson. He hadn't quite learned it yet. He's still resisting. Because he got up off his knees, and then he went back at it like it all depended on him. And I've heard preachers say before, I've heard people say before, pray like it all depends on God, and work like it all depends on you. Can I say I haven't heard a more false statement in all my life? How much better would it be to pray and work like it all depends on God? Because it does. It does. All is in vain unless the Spirit of the Lord is the one that does the work. I'm going to tell you something. You cannot do God's will in your own power. You can do your will in your own power. And it will never work out the way you want it to. I tell you, you have to depend on the Lord. And and Jacob, as he wrestles with God, he had to discover that God's assurances were greater than his abilities. It doesn't matter what I do or how much effort I put forth. If I'm not depending on you, then nothing good's going to come of it. But when I depend on you, when I depend on your promises, it doesn't mean I don't work, it doesn't mean I don't put it into practice. When I depend on you, I can have every assurance in the way that I'm taking in life. It's a lesson we desperately need to learn as well. And we're almost out of time, so let's look at the third lesson here. Number one, God's support is greater than your schemes. Number two, God's assurances are greater than your abilities. Number three, write this down, God's grace is greater than your grievances. God's grace is greater than your sin. You could put it that way. It's greater than your grievances. Verse number 24, what's the first part of that verse say again? And Jacob was left alone. See, after all this self-effort on Jacob's part, God finally got him alone. And when God finally got him alone, he was finally able to do something in him and for him. When Jacob finally gave up on, on trying to do everything himself. Most of us hate to be alone. Let's be honest. Some of you are loners. I tend to be a loner. But even when I'm lo- alone, I like to listen to music. I like to listen to preaching. I like to I get some noise going on in my head. But we hate being alone in silence. A great preacher of yesteryear, he called silence God's audience chamber in our life. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. And we don't like to be alone because when we're alone, we're brought face to face with somebody. You know who it is? Ourselves. We're left to our thoughts. We're left to surveying our life and most of us don't, we fear what we're going to see when we get alone. When God begins to search our life and bring things up that ought not to be there. We hate being alone because of that. I tell you, as a child of God, you have no fear to be able to come into the presence of God. In fact, you ought to desire God's, to be alone in God's presence on a regular basis. The psalmist so desired it that he prayed in Psalm 139 and verse 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. He so treasured alone time with God that he said, God, I want you to search me. I want you to show me my failures. I want you to show me the areas of my life where I'm not depending on you, where I'm resisting you. I want to know those things. And would to God that we would have that heartbeat as a people of God. 
But Jacob had so long resisted being alone. Now God finally got him alone. Maybe the same for you. We drown out God's voice with the television. We drown out God's voice with the cell phone. We drown out God's voice with music. We fill up our days and so we don't have to be alone when most of the time what God longs for more than anything else from your life is for you to be alone with him so that he can do something in you, so that he can do something for you and stop depending on yourself when we find it was in this lonely place that Jacob found out that he really was not alone at all. The Bible says in verse number 24, And there wrestled a man with Jacob until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. As the two wrestled that night, the Bible tells us that Jacob, as was ever the case with him, he wouldn't let up. I mean, he was not going to secede. He could not prevail over the man he was wrestling with, but he was not going to stop fighting. It reminds me of, uh, I've oftentimes wrestled with with my own kids at home, and no matter how many times I throw them off, they think they can come back and get me, okay? And it's not ever going to happen. That's what Jacob's doing here with the Lord. No matter what the Lord did, Jacob just wasn't going to secede his will. He wasn't going to give up the wrestling match. But then the Bible says, with one touch, God dislocated Jacob's thigh, dislocated his hip joint. You know, when that happened, God completely took away Jacob's ability to really wrestle. He could put no weight down on it. There was only one thing Jacob could do at that point. You know what it was? Just cling to the Lord. All he could do is, I imagine he tried to wrap his arm around his neck and just tried to hold on for dear life. There's nothing else he could do but cling to the Lord. And the Lord said, the, day, the sun's coming up. It's time to quit. And Jacob said, I'm not going to let go of you. I am not going to let go of you. Until you show me what you're trying to teach me in my life. Until you bless me. And that was the point that God brought Jacob here to in the scripture. I want you to notice that it was at that point that God asked Jacob a piercing question. The Bible says in verse 27 that he said unto him, say say this out loud with me, What is thy name? Well, that's interesting. Jacob had been asked that question before by his dad, remember? What is thy name, son? I'm Esau. No, he wasn't. God says, Jacob, what's your name? And I believe Jacob gave a heartfelt cry in that moment. He said, God, I'm Jacob, I'm a deceiver. I'm a con artist. I'm a guy with a facade on. I'm not who I want everybody else to believe me to be. Yeah, I'm that deceiver. I'm Jacob. I'm the guy that holds on to the heel and tries to suck suck the life out of everything that is around me. That's who I am. God brought Jacob to the end of himself. Brought him face to face with himself to realize, Jacob... You're not enough. 
The life you've lived, the effort you've put forth, relying on yourself, it's never been enough. It's time for you to own up to who you are. You know what? When you wrestle with God, I believe that God wants to bring you to a point when you come face to face with your greatest enemy. You see, at the beginning of this chapter, Jacob thought his greatest enemy was his brother Esau. What he found out on this day is that his greatest enemy was himself. He's the one that kept throwing himself in a pit. He's the one that, quit, that, that wouldn't depend on the Lord and kept on trying to do it his own way. He's the one that dug the pit that he kept falling in for himself. On that day, God made him realize exactly who he was. I want you to notice what the Lord did in his life right after that. The Bible says in verse 28, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with man, and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. I love this. At this point in Jacob's life, he got a new name. Every time somebody receives a new name in Scripture, it marks a new beginning in their life. And Jacob, the, name, the new name God gave to him was Israel. Israel. What does Israel mean? Well, Israel is a name that means God rules. Or I like how one man put it, it means a God-mastered man. On that day, God said, Jacob, I got you. You have been fighting me for 20 plus years. You have finally surrendered. You finally decided, God, you can have my life. You finally become a God-mastered man. A.W. Tozer, he said these words, The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. God cannot truly bless you the way he desires to until he breaks you of yourself. So long as you're trying to do God's will your own way, so long as you're depending on yourself, you'll never be able to experience the fullness of God's grace. But I have good news for you today. God's grace is greater than your sin, than your selfishness, God's grace can overcome your past. He has given you a new name when you put your faith in him. And now, you don't live your life for yourself. For I am crucified with Christ, the apostle Paul said, and nevertheless I live, and yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Would to God, we, and our wrestling match with God would be brought to an emptying of ourself, to an ending of ourself, and to a place of total surrender and dependence on the Lord. D.L. Moody made this statement. He said, this world has yet to see what God can do with the man fully surrendered to him. And then he said, by God's grace, I want to be that man. I wonder what God could do in your heart, in your home, in our church, if we would fully surrender to the Lord. What area of your life are you wrestling with God in? Hey, what's the thing you're holding on to? You're resisting. God is able 
to bring you to the end of yourself, to empty your life. He's able to dislocate that hip, hey, to get you to the place, and all you can do is cling to him and say, God, I don't know what else to do. Well, you can finally realize, oh, I need to trust you. That's the place God wants to bring all of us. And that's why, and I'll say this first in conclusion, the Apostle Paul gave us this wonderful plea in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. Why don't you turn there in your, in your Bibles here in conclusion. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. God wants you to present yourself to him. God wants you as a living soul to present, to surrender your life to him. And I say to you in conclusion that the path to true victory is not in trying harder, but it is in trusting more in the Lord. In fact, it's in trusting fully in the Lord. Whatever area you've been wrestling with God in, isn't it about time you just surrender to the Lord? Isn't it about time you become a God-mastered man, a God-mastered woman like Israel? Israel? 